What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 345. That's three, four, five. Oh. Uh, my name's Steve, and I'm one of the co-hosts of the show, and I'm joined as always by... Brian. Hey, John. <laughs> I'm never not amused by the uh, the approach that you take to your names. It's like, sometimes it's drawn out. Sometimes I don't even hear... It's like John doesn't even get a full syllable out. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like a little... like a. T- well, last week we we, we kind of went overboard with it, and we're trying yeah, to do it's like true. it's like within this franchise of movies, movie we're trying to do a little quick course correction. So uh, we're we're scaling it back this week. Very reserved. <laughs> it leaves us someplace to go later in the episode as we talk about all these hot topics that we've got. Hot topics. There you go. Uh, <laughs> hot pockets. Let's go. <laughs> um, I like it. Uh, so yeah, today's episode we're going we're going heavy in the genre. Uh, yeah. On this episode, we've got John uh, was able to check out uh, Thor: Love and Thunder uh, on its opening. Well, we're recording this on the Thursday evening, so opening day uh, with the early screenings, and then uh, we're going to get into the uh, the wrap up on. Oh, actually, no, that's going to be the new section. We're going to have a new section that we're going to talk about called Required Viewing. Uh, we're going to be talking about the new series, uh, The Responder. Um, with uh, Martin Freeman, and then we're going to go back to back, talk about the season three and season four of The Boys and Stranger Things, respectively, now that they've both wrapped up their runs. Uh, And for those portions of the show, we will try to kind of give a heads up. Um, We will go into some spoilers for each of those shows and and their uh, respective seasons that just end it. But we'll try to also maybe mark it in the notes for the episode. Um, if you want to kind of take note of those uh, minute markers, we can probably give you a heads up so that if you want to fast forward without spoilers, uh, you, you'll have an opportunity to. Um, before you go into Thor, John, was there any news or any kind of trailers, anything that we wanted to go and run through real quick? Uh, the new David O. Russell uh, movie, Amsterdam, has a trailer oh, that yeah, is just right. fantastic. And I've seen a lot of people sharing this and saying, oh my gosh, this looks great. I think that this might be related to the fun people had going to see uh, Top Gun, just in the sense that this is, there's like a star power aspect to this yeah. movie. And the way the trailer unrolls the the cast list is sort of tantalizing. And, and I mean, I think David O. Russell knows how to do those low angle shots of people walking down a hall with cool music uh, and you know, like problematic man, it might seem. And I don't know how much I really know. That's just him having like emotional problems and how much he's an actual like asshole to work with. But right. um, uh, I'm always intrigued by his movies. And and if he is a, a, a problematic person or a messed up person, uh, I feel like sometimes I relate to that through his work. Like his work shows like human behavior at a certain kind of extreme that he allows it to be sort of funny and emotional at the same time, oftentimes, the way that people can be awful to each other, you know? So, like, um, I don't know. I think he's a guy who's uh, – I'm always intrigued to see what he'll do. Um, and I think that the last movie he made – was that Joy? Was that the one with uh, – was that what that was? Was that the Definitely. name of that one? Yeah. That the I never one. saw that one. That's the one of his I've never seen, so I probably should check it out. But it didn't it, you it check didn't it out. interest me that much from the from the trailer or from what I heard about it. But no, I'm always especially when he's got this kind of great cast. Um and uh, you know, I'm one of those people that still likes American Hustle. I know people seems to have seems like the general tide has turned against that movie, but I still remember it, a lot of great moments and uh, you know, Christian Bale is is always doing something interesting. So yeah, yeah I'm looking no, I, forward to I'm Amsterdam. a fan of that too. Yeah, trailer, that trailer looks really good, and it's it's kind of been like a weird that that movie's kind of had a couple name changes over mm-hmm. the run of it. Like it's kind of the secrecy around it in terms of even what it was about. Like details have kind of come out very slowly on it, but 
um, it's cool to finally see a trailer and really truly get an idea of what this, <clears throat> what it has to offer, you know, in terms of the cast and kind of what roles they're playing, but also just the story sounds really kind of interesting and it sounds like it's going to be very entertaining too. So was it called dead um, white man in a box? Like just a yeah. few days ago, right? I feel like I heard uh, about recently, it. Recently. Yes. Yeah. Not um, and at one point, I feel like it was called like the name of his character, the doctor's ca- the doctor character. Oh. At one point, it was like called his name. Um, Dead white but- man in a box. <laughs> that's the plot of Django. Like, if you guys ever saw Django, it's that's actually the plot of that movie. It's just a dead person, right? And a guy, and Django goes into the bar. So that's wild. Um, yeah, there was a couple other trailers that were sending around. Oh, Clerks Three came out. The Clerks trailer 3. for that. Looks, I'm really excited for that. It just looks so, I don't know, like the word coming to mind is sweet, but I don't know. I just really kind of feel very excited and um, looking forward to that one <clears throat> for sure, especially since, you know, everybody's back to have some part in it. It looks like um, everybody from his stable of actors that he usually works with. Um, uh, what else? I, we said that one news uh, that you sent around, one of us sent around, I can't remember who sent it, the, the Duffer Brothers, speaking of the Stranger Things, kind of announcing Ooh. that they're going to have that production. They're yeah. having like a production uh, house under, I guess, in a co-production with Netflix. Uh, what is it called? Upside Down Pictures or Upside Down? Upside, upside Down Production. Production. Upside Down Production or something. But it was a cool announcement because, I mean, you know, they're kind of going through a bullet point of the fact that, you know, stuff is already kind of in production of some kind. Yes. You know, pre-production or in production, actually. Um but, One of my you know, favorite properties of all time is going to be made into a TV series. What is that? Death Note. Death Note. Okay. That's what I thought. You Do yourself about. a favor. If you've never seen the anime, I think it's still on Netflix. Watch Death Note. And apparently one of the most unmakeable Stephen King movies is uh, books is being made into a movie. The, the Talisman. Apparently that's people. This this movie has been tried to. I don't it's know why been people like would say unmakeable now. outside of the fact that it's it's a long book. It's a co-write with Peter Straub, the another I, horror author, and I I do think it's like a fantasy tale, like with like dark fantasy. But it it, it does it does probably have a lot of world building involved in it that is a daunting task for them to try to yeah. distill it down to a movie. So the idea that it's a Netflix series fits, and it also fits the yeah. the Duffer Brothers brand at this point, right? To do a Stephen King, yeah. uh, Peter Straub project. I th- I think because it's been in production hell. I think that's part of it because I've I've read like some article that said that like for thirty years they've been trying to make this this show. I mean this movie. Yeah. And you know it's it's cool that Duffer Brothers are taking it on because I mean it's one of those things like Zack Snyder was like, look, I'm gonna make Watchmen. I kind of like the idea that you know say what you will about that movie. He tried. And the Duffer Brothers are gonna grab this this book that apparently is supposedly unmakeable, but you 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 seem to picture it being you know it, it seems I, like I, I guess thing what I'm that, saying is I don't know why there's books that I think are unfilmable because of the way they're written, and this does this isn't one of those books that's it like, feel like one it's of more just it's a lot of story and it's it's okay. pretty in depth. So I. Um, I do think that's probably what they mean. And also when they say unfilmable, I bet there's a lot of attempts with a story like that to get it into a package that's cost effective because as much as we'd like to think, oh, it's a beloved book by these important authors, um, 
it's like that's not enough to necessarily guarantee not so much an audience's interest, but a studio's commitment to spend hundreds of millions that they will spend on something, you know, that's based on IP or that's based on a superhero or something that people know. So I think right. that maybe the Duffer Brothers are the brand name that are going to would be able to the same way that like Mike Flanagan can take something and kind of make it make a sort of unlikely thing happen. I feel like yeah. Yeah, it's funny that, you know, it's, it's the Netflix thing, but obviously that Netflix wants to stay in the Duffer brothers business. Um, and they probably, uh, you know, it's just cool to hear what kind of projects they might take on now, yeah. you know, that stranger things is beginning to potentially wind down a little bit. So no, I'm excited about that, but I think it fits their mold. Exactly. Like you could imagine that book being one of the books they would mention as an inspiration for stranger things, because it does have the kind of, mundane world with a fantasy that's dark kind of you know revealed through it and then it does get mm. into like i said it's a very uh uh i think to fully realize the world you either need a lot of money or a lot of screen time to make it really work so right um, cool i haven't read the book you know in a long time but it was it was it's a little bit dense too and i think sometimes if a book is is a little bit hard to get through it's like a 600 page book or something i think that's a, that's another reason people just say it's unfilmable you know because the task mm. of actually getting that down um, gotcha. What was the movie? The Dark Tower? Was that yeah. the name of the movie they finally made? That's another Stephen King property that has been attempted to be turned into several different things, series, movies, a trilogy of movies, oh, wow. a television miniseries, you know, and it's like they never cracked it until they finally made this movie that didn't seem like it satisfied anybody's hopes, really. Yeah, so didn't seem like anybody I hope this it. goes a different way. Yeah, and, I, and I'm just so, like, I, I feel like, honestly, like going into the last like month or so, I've, I I can't... I, I'm like seeking out um, material with with the Duffer Brothers. Like, I'm really curious, mm -hmm. like, to to hear more from them about Stranger Things and about like, you know, their their process and just the production of it. Because like, you don't really see them a ton. Um, and and in the last couple of weeks, they have been a lot more available. It seems, and some stuff is to come out with them. And not, you know, obviously this piece of news, but because I've always wondered, like, what else are they doing? Like, since, you know, since Stranger Things launched, you know, whatever it was six years ago, it's like, or seven years ago, whatever it is, like, that's kind of what they're known for and tied to. Like, they don't really have, there's not really much else that they've kind of attempted to do. And I'm obviously, this is something that takes a lot of time. And they're very much involved in writing and directing the majority of the episodes of this series. But like, you know, it's kind of cool to hear about in whatever capable, whatever capacity or their availability is going to be for these titles that we've mentioned, just that, you know, they are kind of <clears throat> reaching out and tying into more of these kinds of titles or these kinds of properties that are, you know, based on anime or based on like a Stephen King novel, or, you know, they also mentioned like a, a, a like a live stage play for Stranger Things and like a Stranger Thing live action spinoff series. And so what will, what, what will those things be? to be able to keep that brand. And we talk about IP on the show a lot, but like, you know, Netflix, if you think about Netflix's IP, like it's stranger things, you know, like that's the, that's the one that really has created uh, branding merchandising, all that kinds of stuff more than any other show that they have. And I think that, you know, for them to make that announcement, it's a cool thing that, you know, that, that that's an investment in those, those, those brothers and the brand and, hopefully that world of stranger things and how else they can kind of come up with, you know, to branch it out and kind of keep it going. Cause obviously Netflix wants to keep that going. Cause you know, in two years, it'll be the core story will be over. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, just a cool announcement um, for sure. I want to come back to that subject. I want to come back to that subject of uh, spinoffs 
and expanding the universes of these sort of successful shows like Stranger Things and The Boys, because both of them are talking spinoffs or actively making spinoffs right now. So when we get into the, I do want to remember that thought because I don't want, you know, anything I say could be kind of spoilery with Stranger Things. Um, okay. Are there any other trailers or any other news that seems worth mentioning? No, I think I'm, I'm good. Uh, if you want to, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. All right, well, I will jump into some brief thoughts about Thor. We can treat this like a mighty minute uh, type thing. Uh, and and I, I open the floor to any questions that you two have. Um, I'm going to leave out the part of this conversation where I react to the criticisms and the reviews that I've been reading and the kind of hype around this movie and just talk about the movie. <laughs> because okay. I realize so often with a Marvel thing, on top of the thinking about the franchise and thinking about all the components, there's this piece where you're sort of reacting to the conventional wisdom about the thing. You know everybody yeah. loves it and you want to say, yeah, it's great. Or you you don't think it's as bad as people say. And so you come in going, you know, people are saying, I, so I'm trying not to do the people are saying about this movie. Um, I, I think if people see the trailer and they want to see it and they remember Ragnarok and they want to see it and they like Taika Waititi's style, and they want to see it. I think this is exactly the movie that you think it is. You know, it's like it is Thor Ragnarok Part Two with a little bit less of a polish, maybe on the world building stuff, but a little bit more freedom to just be silly and kind of the tonal shifts. I mean, there's moments where the where the, it gets very poignant and sincere right after some really silly stuff, and sometimes those moments don't always work as well as they they would in a movie that had established a more grounded tone. But the sincerity of those moments is definitely there. And if you like Taika Waititi's stuff, especially as he's kind of spread out and he's got his fingers in so many different pies, and he's got like Our Flag Means Death, and he's got uh, What We Do in the Shadows, and he's got uh, you know contributing to like Reservation Dogs, uh, the right. different things he's doing. He's like the opposite of Guillermo del Toro, where if you hear something he's involved in, it actually happens, you know? <laughs> um, but like, I people at this point either like or don't like his style. And I feel like if you think you like his style and you think this movie looks fun from the trailers, I think this kind of... Uh, this kind of movie is like, it might be the little palate cleanser you want from Marvel because it is a self-contained movie. It doesn't try to necessarily make you think about any next steps or any last steps, but like Chris Hemsworth is irresistible. Natalie Portman is no slouch when she's awake and she's pretty awake in this. You've got, you've got funny jokes. There's a couple, there's a couple of hilarious moments in this that, I mean, I, I, where I heard myself laugh before anyone else did in the theater, you know, where you hear yourself go, ah! um, and then everyone else joins in. But I mean, I heard, I, maybe I saw it with a really like laid back, happy audience, but it was just everybody. It was not the experience that, and this is where I will nod to the reviews. It was not the experience that I had been started to w wonder about from some of the reviews I'd read where people talked about like, Jokes not landing and and the movie being too pleased with itself and too smug. I feel like if you're going to see a Taika Waititi thing at this point, you know that he's kind of got that sort of ain't I ain't I a little stinker kind of thing going right, on right. with his stuff. And if you like that, I think you'll find this to be a movie that has a lot of heart and a lot of a lot of jokes. And it it doesn't take any of this heavy machinery of the Marvel universe seriously, which is refreshing. In general, I think at a moment where we're all wondering what they're doing and what the next step is going to be and like what that, that what that next Marvel thing is going to be that's just going to absolutely connect with people. I think some people might not be in the mood for 
a, a movie that's basically Bugs Bunny directing a movie, you know. Um, but <laughs> I was I, I was really charmed by it. I mean, I went into it with those those expectations of like, well, you know, you never know. This could be that Marvel movie that just leaves me in the dust. But I was instantly chuckling, and then it built up for me. And yeah, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like running gags that are either going to work for you or they don't. But I I didn't I didn't find it to be this mess that that was being described to me. And I do think it's also a mess in a way that you would expect a Taika Waititi sequel to Ragnarok to be. Like mm. Chris Hemsworth said somewhere on the in a junket somewhere that this is a movie a seven-year-old would have made. <laughs> and that Taika Waititi has said that he basically made the decisions like that. Like what would, if I was a kid and I got to make this movie, what kind of stuff, what kind of things would I have happen? What kind of scenes would I have in it? Um, and I just think some people are going to be really on board for that. And it's, this is going to be that little Marvel flavor for them. Um, but I think maybe people who want it to be more heavy or want it to be more serious. Um, yeah, it, it might. I mean, but again, I think these people are already Taika Waititi fans or they're not. That seems to me like it's the real deciding factor of this. Do you like his kind of light uh, tone shifting style, you know, sweetness and and humor and silliness. And maybe it feels like you got the actors when they were rehearsing and not actually acting, but I, I don't know. It feels that looseness to me feels a little bit lively in this world of these movies that can sometimes feel so drained of like the human element, you know? So, mm. so no, I, I enjoyed it. And also my, my increasingly cynical and hard to please 15, uh, f well, 14, but going on 15, uh, uh, your old son also dug it. And he was just this morning talking about how Marvel will never be as good again after Endgame. He had a whole rant on the way to, uh, he, he's doing this little work thing where he was just kind of what we've been saying is like, how are they going to top, what they've done and yeah. should they be trying to top themselves every time out? And I think this movie kind of says, you know, if you get Christian Bale to come down and do something memorable, and if you get Natalie Portman to come back and give her some fun, like you can rely on, you can rely on, you can rely on Chris Hemsworth to carry a movie like this. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, it's just, it's just good fun. And I, and I stress how self-contained it is. It really did get to the end and feel like, Oh, okay. You know, they're they're hinting at things that might be larger, but this movie doesn't make any claims. All it really tries to do is pick up the thread that you remember from the end of Endgame, which is that the Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor are are hanging out. That's the only that's the only real connection that yeah. this has. Um, and I will say that uh, maybe this is a spoiler to some, but I just feel like I need to say it because I'm glad there's no Loki in this movie either. So that's like it's <laughs> I like it when they when they when they stave off the inevitable in these things you know like you know at some point those two characters are probably right. going to be on screen again together but this gets to be a thor movie where where loki sits out so anyway yeah taika waititi oh. you lo love him or or avoid him but don't <laughs> go just so you can hate him if you if you already know you don't like him <laughs> where does it uh like with again i know you just saw it but like yeah. in this whole phase four of it all for the films at least uh where do you kind of because, like, where do you kind of place it in that realm? Uh, amongst those films, I mean. I felt, you know, I enjoyed, uh, you know, I haven't done this yet. I haven't done this yet. I have, Like, I don't think we've done this yet. Like, we haven't. And I'm just asking for, like, a quick take. A quick you just take. just saw it. Like, um, I'm because right it's, hard to, it's hard to think of it without thinking of all of them. It's like, there's Black Widow, there's Shang-Chi, there's The Eternals, there's... Spider-Man. You know, I like The Eternals more than more than most people did, but even I understand why that movie didn't connect with people. And I kind of feel the same way to a lesser degree with 
like Multiverse of Madness. I feel like a lot of people liked that one okay, but there was still a general feeling that it's not what it could have been. And I still felt like I enjoyed it for what it was maybe more than some did. So I feel like this is another one that I'm putting in that category. I I really enjoyed it for what it for what it is, that it's this kind of shiny, you know, silly, fast movie. So how confident did I feel that people around me were enjoying it? This one felt a little bit stronger than Multiverse of Madness. So I would say this is like... You know, it's in the middle, honestly. I think that maybe Shang-Chi is the is the the winner of the bunch somehow. Or no, far from uh, uh Spider-Man, No Way Home is the big winner. Shang-Chi might be might be next. And then I would say this is like in the middle with Doctor Strange for me of like it's okay. fun and I think I think I think the audience was more into it than they were with Doctor Strange. It doesn't it doesn't do anything like the some of the crazy stuff that Doctor Strange did that just left people behind. This is a little bit of a linear story. And I haven't really mentioned Christian Bale too much yet, but a lot of the fun of this is seeing him like you totally understand why he took this part. The scenery chewing that he does is is fun to see. And the hype about Gore being like a villain that has a little bit of heart. Um, you know, that holds out too. So awesome. uh, I guess right. it'd be kind of in the middle. It would probably be like, yeah. Maybe just ahead of uh, of Doctor Strange in the in the middle of the pack. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Ronald, I can tell from your face you haven't warmed up to the Eternals. <laughs> no, you know what I have warmed up to though. I've watched Doctor Strange like three times. I I don't love it, but it's it still has some parts that are like. I like the beginning when they just kind of plop you in the middle of the chaos. There's yeah. something about that that feels like what happened in the first minute or so before. You know what the best happened? part of that is? Is the way he jumps off the balcony and puts his cape on is so flamboyant and so like pompous. <laughs> you know what I mean? He does it so, so dramatically. It's like I love the way that like Sam Raimi just like he knows the comedy of that that you, you can get so Benedict Cumberbatch to do that. Like it'll just be funny to see how suavely and egotistically he jumps off and gets ready yeah. to save the day. Um, and then her new ex, uh, her, yeah. his ex's husband's like enamored by it. Like a I love boy. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Real fanboy. Uh, so I don't know, man. It's a, get Eternals out of here. Well, like, you know, like you can see how Taika Waititi em embraces the kind of B-movie aspect of a lot of this stuff. And so when mm. the effects are a little bit schlocky, it feels a little mm. bit like the movie's in on the joke, which is why I stress oh, this okay. movie kind of feels like it's like the the palate cleanser, maybe, because, but but it does go for some real emotional things, too. So, okay. um, but I think that what, as far as you're talking about those kind of surface pleasures of watching the Doctor Strange movie, um, I think this movie has has a certain amount of that, too. I, I do think that the question of how, how good, when is Marvel? Marvel ever are they ever going to focus on like routinely excellent effects? Um, you know that's a question I still have. Like, but but I think that Thor works within that that schlockiness okay. a little bit and has fun with it rather than seeming like it's trying to hide um, that. So right, yeah. Okay. But how does Doctor Strange look? That's the reason I was thinking about the effects of Thor. Like, did it does it look like watching it at home? Do you feel like it looks pretty uh, looks pretty nice? Jesus Christ, man, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful fucking movie. The, so here's the problem. You know, it's like I, I watch a lot of like physical media collectors and even they're like, man, Disney Plus is offering this experience. That's a lot different than the Blu-ray that I just bought. That's like $30. You know, it takes up more screen. The, the, uh, the Dolby Vision is caliber. I mean if you have any decent TV, anything over like a, like $200, it, 
the color palette of this thing is just looks incredible on Disney Plus. So I've watched both. Um, the sound is better on the physical, just because mm-hmm. it's a seven seven point one situation. Yeah, but everything else is you know. There's a couple parts in dark places that get kind of muddy for Disney Plus, but but they're making this a, the the definitive place to watch Marvel things, which is so strange to say that a streaming service is doing it, but whatever compression they're using looks amazing. I, when when you come over one day, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna show it to you. I'm gonna show it to you with in all its glory. <sighs> Well, let's talk about this new feature on the show. <clears throat> yes. It, John. I was just thinking about how often we lately won't have all watched the same thing <laughs> and how nice mm-hmm. it is when we can talk about something that we've all seen. And sometimes it's hard to line that up with something brand new. Um, mm-hmm. And, oh, I thought, well, well why, don't, why don't we not have to, this time we happen to be starting off with something new. But in general, this can be anything where one of us is going to basically ask the other two or demand it, require the other two <laughs> to watch something so that the next uh, show, we can all have seen at least one thing that's accessible to everyone. And we're going to try to announce it on the show a week in advance so that you out there can uh, watch the same thing. And when, you know, when we do that segment, I know some people will say to me, oh, I would love to listen to your show, but I don't always know the movies you guys are talking about. And I want to see them before I hear people talk about them. And this is a way to know what we're talking about. And it's usually going to be something accessible. Uh, you could talk a little bit about where, where this week's selection is, but we're calling this required viewing. And Ronald, you're the first person who chose something. And you said, all right, pick a movie that's accessible and easy. I'll tell you what, I'll make John uh, sign up for a seven-day free trial to a new service so he can watch a six-episode limited series. Yeah, so I think I think what's really important as a as a viewer of all things media is get your stuff from all over the place. Yes, and I'm typically looking at the American um, guides for like top TV shows of the year, but every once in a while. You know, I'll scooch I'll scooch my vision over onto the the UK charts, and one that kept coming up on uh, a bunch of lists was The Responder, starring Martin Freeman. Um, and you can watch on BritBox. You can watch from BritBox. Um, Roku also has Brit, BritBox. Uh, Amazon, you can get it through Amazon Prime. Um, so it is accessible to Americans and uh, a free trial, you don't have to pay for it. So you sign up for it, mm-hmm. get rid of it right after you watch it if you want to, or get into some Brit debauchery. Or do watch what Gangs everyone does, London. forget you signed up for it and then pay for it every and month get without watching for it forever. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot going on here. One thing is I had not yet decided I was going to watch it, but I had seen a trailer and thought it looked pretty good. So when you mentioned it, mm. I was like, yes, I'll happily watch that. But ads for this were seeping into my feed. I don't know if it's just because that's where my interests are and the algorithm was was throwing something in front of me. But, you know, it looked intriguing. I think Martin Freeman is one of my favorite legit one of my favorite actors, one of those people who I'm always kind of excited to see in something. Um, and I do think there's a lot of goodwill from his performance as Tim on the the original Office, that we all love him from that. But part of why we loved him on that was how believable he was. And he brings so much to just about every part I've seen him in. He does something kind of interesting and edgy with it. And he doesn't always play nice guys, you know? I don't know. I just think he's an interesting actor. So this, when you mentioned it, it was like, yes, I'm, I'm happy to do this. And I also knew it would be an opportunity to check out some of the other things on BritBox. There's the uh, Stephen Merchant playing a, 
a serial killer in uh, the Barking Murders is like a three episode oh, series on Redbox. I'm gonna have I, to check that out. I started watching it. I haven't really gotten into it yet, but there's a lot of good stuff that I'm I'm gonna be watching in this uh, seven day uh, free trial period. Fuck you, Britbox. I'm oh. not gonna pay six, six <laughs> ninety nine a month for another service. <laughs> so yeah, man, I, I I wanted you guys to watch it. It's a, it's a story about a a cop, uh, affectionately known as a copper, and his beat. And uh, he's tremendously affected by the job it, to the point where, um, you know, he's he's troubled, man. He's he's going through some PTSDs. Has some uh, when you meet him first, he's he's in therapy, and um, he may have lost a position, but you don't quite know why. Um, and he is what, by all accounts, a dirty cop, and I'm not going to say why. But uh, coupled with that is the idea that he is uh, put into a position because of an accident where he has to help a new recruit uh, that is very by the book. And he quickly tries to show this woman that that's not how the world works. (laughs) And for five episodes, you go through this panic of a situation that gets goes from very small to very big, very quickly, and affects everybody around uh, this gentleman. So what would you guys think of, of the responder? Steve, why don't you respond to that question? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, mainly because I really enjoyed Martin Freeman. And honestly, the, yeah. the big, some of the stuff that I enjoyed the most on the show, which is really not even at the core, <clears throat> excuse me, at the core story of it, was like, it really stood out to me like, the relationship of the children in the show to their fathers and yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. specifically Tilly, his, you know, Chris's daughter, Martin Freeman's daughter in the show. I don't know why, but like every episode, every scene that child actor is in, I mean, she was incredible in the show. I mean, she she's not yeah. in it a lot, but when you talk about, you know, a character that he's playing, you know, he's this cop who is dirty, a dirty cop in ways and just, you know, sh- stressed out you know he's going to a therapist he's on medications and he's what what, he, what is did they actually say in the show i think is, is he is it just depression or is it he said anxiety i think, I think. anxiety okay yeah um but just like seeing the bright spot in his life is literally his daughter is really that's really yeah. that's really you know when he's having breakfast with her when he's even just talking to her on the phone um and I don't know. I just really like that. That stood out to me um, because the whole show is kind of about this like uphill battle that he's constantly charging against. And, you know, because of the stress of the job, the stress on his marriage, you know, other th- factors in his life that are just like completely just weighing him down and just destroying him emotionally and physically. Um, but when he's around his daughter, you know, it really stood out to me. And even the other character, I can't remember, like his his, his friend in the show, like who also has a daughter. You know, even his relationship with his daughter, um, the the amount that we get to see of her, it's just, I don't know. I, I really like, what's that? Carl. I think yeah. Carl was his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his, yeah. The the scenes where he's like watching a show with his daughter and it's like, she's old enough to, you know, like his, his wife's like saying it's not appropriate, but then his wife's sitting there <laughs> watching it. You know, just like there's levity and there's like kind of like a, like a sweetness yeah. to those scenes because the show, you know, in, in general is, is really kind of grimy and it's really kind of you know, stressful and, you know, um, suspenseful at times. Um, but I really, really loved just like that anchor of his daughter and 
And even it was really sad too, because like, even at times when like she was asking, you know, if she was what was wrong, you know, like in, because she's so yeah. tuned in, she's so tuned into her father and to her probably to her mother as well. But it's just like, he's the one that's really kind of visibly suffering in, in ways that are affecting his relationships all over the board. Um, so like a kid like that, and it's kind of sad to even think about having a daughter, having children, you know, it's just like thinking about like kind of how we come off to our kids and how much more in tune they are to us than we probably realize. So I like the way the show kind of didn't just say he had a family and showed a couple scenes of him right. with his family. Like it really kind of showed the impact of what he was going through and how it, you know, what it had on his family. Um, and yeah, I, I love that part of it. But in general, I thought the show was good. I mean, it's just like I'd heard a lot of good things about it, too. I'd, I'd seen a couple things in my feed on it, um, kind of promoting it. So I was I was kind of happy that you 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 picked it. Um Maybe not so not so happy with how quickly we had to watch it, but um, I'm so sorry about that. Uh, but but glad that I did get to watch it because I had been planning to. So it kind of just like kind of like you know forced me to, which I appreciate. Um, but yeah, I can see why it's it, it, apparently it's like a big hit overseas, and there's even talks of a second season. And um, yeah, he's 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 just incredible. Like he's just such a good actor. Like like you said, John, in everything he's in, whether it's funny or kind of straight or just kind of like even this, like from not being a physically, you know, intimidating presence, you know, like he's not a big man. He's not, you know, physically either in, in size or at height, anything like that. But in those scenes where he's kind of really kind of Im imposing intimidation, you know, as this cop who's probably abusing his power, it's, it's kind of scary because of that, but it's also just his presence is really the way, you know, that's leveraged uh, in this series. I thought was like really effective and to kind of like, kind of sort of showed a, like a side of him that most people probably don't associate him with, um, which I think is a, another part of the appeal of the show is probably reaching um, with, with people that have seen it and, 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 and liked it. Um, but yeah, I would, I, I, I dug it. I, I mean, I feel like over the course of five episodes and maybe jumps around back to story points a little, a little too often here and there um, kind yeah. of rehashing things. Um but you know, enough was there for me to still enjoy it. What about you, Ronald? Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, so what's what's interesting about it is it's it's shot in Liverpool. He's on the beat in Liverpool, and his partner Rachel, who's played by Adeleo Adeleo, um, is from Manchester, and they call her a mank uh, because she sounds a little more proper than everybody else that they're mm -hmm. around. So it's interesting, you know, I, you know, I've kind of experienced some of that when I was there. It's like the idea, like, sure, racism exists. Absolutely. But there's also like a lot of classism that goes like every yeah. place else where things like that play into it, where fancier sounding people really aren't around people who sound like the people in Liverpool. Um, and watching these relationships between some of the characters and you realize that this guy has a lot more heart than she's heard about this guy and yeah watching the way that he handles people it's like um when i was growing up that's some of the police officers were like that in our neighborhood it was like if somebody was drunk you know it's like sure you could arrest that person or you could understand that that person's stressed out they don't really want to you know they're trying to drink their problems away and get them out of the street and help them. You know, it's right. that, that kind of neighborhood policing is something that is kind of amazing. And, and I think that's what people are kind of getting 
from this as well. Like neighborhood policing is a is an old phenomenon. It, it doesn't really exist in the same way that it, it does anymore. And well, the name responder refers to the fact that first responder is his, yeah, role, yeah, which may not sound like a big distinction, but when you think about what that means, is he's the guy sitting in the car waiting to get the call to go to the place to do the thing. So he does kind of have people that he sees on his beat, people that people that he knows. Yeah. It's not quite the neighborhood cop, but I mean, it reminds me of the wire used to talk about that or used to show the distinction between for McNulty anyway. Yeah. That like when there was a season where he ended up kind of busted down to being a beat cop, but you saw mm -hmm. that he was kind of enjoying it because he was walking down the street and talking to people sitting on their stoop and shit like that. And again, yeah. it, we don't really want to romanticize police work or what cops do these days. And I don't think The Wire was ever trying to do that. But I do think showing like the challenges of the job, it's still a legit interesting role that a person's trying to play and i think yeah. the responder honestly it it skirts that feeling of like not cop worship but it does like it is taking you down the road of like you said ronald starting with a cop who you just assume like all of your negative assumptions about policemen right now are to coming to bear and then yeah. you watch this show and they do start to show you like the real person behind that and you can decide how corrupt he is but there's a way in which the show almost seems like it's kind of saying see uh, he was he was right to do the things he did, but you know it's not that simple. And so it, it's an interesting yeah. it's just an interesting moral place that the show kind of puts you because we aren't really in the mood for a hero cop story, and this is not that. But you do see that there's still some, like you said, Ronald. There's a legitimate attempt on his part to do what's best for the people that he comes into contact with. Yeah. That maybe that's not to a person, but there's definitely people he has chosen to be like, I'm going to try to help this person because no one else will, yeah. um, and it doesn't always work out for him it kind of reminded me of breaking bad the sort of escalating yeah. tension aspect of like really spending time in this feeling of oh shit i've got to do this to now yeah. this has gotten more complicated now this person's gotten involved um uh all without a gun we, for, if it's we, funny we i was just it. thinking about that all i was just thinking about that watching this show i feel like i was watching something before this that was a similar thing where i just realized oh yeah this is a british thing so there's not going to be as likely to see there's people no yeah. pulling a gun but then watching this i definitely thought about it how just how many how many people would be dead on an american version of this show just because american yeah. shows have to have that moment where someone's standing there and then they suddenly get shot and whereas on this yeah. show you have to actually walk over to them and hit them with a stick uh, or, a hammer. Know, it, or a hammer <laughs> or a hammer and you can walk it, or, uh, and there's time to get away if they're walking down yeah. a, 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 a dark street and they have a hammer and you can see it you've got time to like turn the car around and peel out yeah um, but no, you're right, Steve. Yeah, There's a, a griminess. Point. There's a griminess to this, and a, it, and a, the sweaty quality. Martin Freeman. I don't think I've ever seen him play somebody who's is not quite like the way your nerves feel watching uh, Uncut Gems or something like that. But it is it is a very nervy feeling of just I want him to settle some of this stuff and go home and get some rest. Um, but uh, but yeah. I, I, yeah. I, one thing I want to say too that like there's one little Tim moment from that was an office moment. Do you remember the moment where he's in the house with the dead woman and yeah. the, I guess it's the coroner <laughs> that shows up and says says um, <laughs> is this her? And and Martin Freeman doesn't quite look at the camera, but he does stop <laughs> and kind of look up and he almost does a Tim look at the camera of like, are you? Can you believe this asshole just asked me? Is this her? But it's like that was one of the funny. That was one of the only funny moments in the whole six episodes. But I was amazed yeah. at that fact that they did get a few little laughs in there, even though this is not a you know a comic turn. And I'll say one other moment I really liked. I liked the guy at the desk 
there's a you're talking about like the reveal of different parts of the story why did he leave the force we just assume he's corrupt then we find out the person that kind of drove him out may have had his own motivations there's a scene where that guy's in the police station and he's talking to the desk sergeant or whatever they call it yeah. and and the dispatcher or whatever and that guy the way he defends our lead character in that moment is something we haven't seen in the whole show up to that point we haven't yeah, seen anybody show, really yeah. say no actually he's a he, he's doing some good stuff as a cop like i feel like those little moments feel like reveals and and it's one of the disadvantages maybe steve is like you said it's a little stretched out at six hours or close to it five hours but you do get little moments like that that are allowed to breathe um yeah. and i think that's maybe the trade-off but that, you know I, I i made a note of a couple scenes like that where i was like oh this is that this is that type of show where you have the little moments that that are the kind of details the kind of interpersonal stuff you were talking about steve that just it makes it yeah. feel slightly different from something you've seen before because face it we've seen a lot of cop shit and uh you might say why this and you know i think the feel and the kind of emotional depth of it is is the real answer i would give to that um yeah yeah for sure i, I kept thinking ian hart was wearing a wig uh the guy who plays carl yeah his he hair was crazy older. he just looks older than his hair and i kept thinking someone was gonna like grab his wig and pull it off but then i realized no that was never even a part that wasn't even like a, we weren't even supposed to think anything about it that's just ian Hart's yeah it's just hair. wacky hair and i know that like i have he put his finger into a socket yeah like he just <laughs> or like he got like he said he went to a place and said give me the gene wilder yeah that's what that's what it's looking like it, that's the thing and i know i really he shouldn't talk look... but uh <laughs> no his hair's nuts right uh, but yeah, yeah, the responder is on BritBox. You can access it through Amazon Prime if you want. Roku, Apple TV. It's it's BritBox is a good service. So and it's a seven day trial if you want to watch a ton of British stuff, including Gangs of London, which is yes, I noticed that that whole series is on there a too, so. masterpiece. So cool. All right. Well, I guess now we're kind of getting into spoiler warning territory because we plan on talking about the ends, the full seasons Ooh, of uh, the boys. Hold, 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 hold on, hold on, John, that? John. We didn't, we didn't announce what. Oh, the that's next right. Yeah, here I am messing it. up. It was about to be a perfect oh, segment. And I, I look at that. The look at that. What you are forgot. We watching? You forgot. Yeah. What's our required viewing for next week's episode? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with something that is only um, something that I've been meaning to watch for years, and it's timely only because. <clears throat> Um, the day that we record this podcast, um, James Conn passed away and, ah. oh, um, I've always wanted to watch Michael Mann's thief. Mm. I've never seen it. Uh, Me 1981, his directorial debut, um, uh, William Peterson, uh, is in it as well. Um, uh, who else? And there's a couple other names that popped out to me beyond James Conn, but, um, I've always heard nothing but amazing things about the movie. It's always one that like on a Michael Mann list, he hasn't made a ton of movies, but right. Thief is one of the ones maybe beyond heat that is always like people. I are just like, watched heat. How do you not, how have you not seen thief? So it's mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know, um, but I'm going to make that <laughs> right in the next week. And uh, hopefully we can, we can talk about it. Uh, we can talk about it on the pod. So yeah, I'm going to go with okay. Michael Mann's thief from 1981. I love it. I, cool. I, I may have seen this when i was a kid because it was kind of an hbo staple yeah. for a little while but i have yeah. almost no memory of it except for moments that i bet are 
were the stills that were in the HBO guide that we got in the mail when I was a kid, but they would show, there's like a picture I can picture from this movie, but no, that's great. And yes, let's talk a little bit about James Caan, I guess, with that suggestion, because I do think he's a guy who, he's one of those people who, he's not quite like Tim Curry in that you can judge a person based on what they know Tim Curry from, but right. when you think about James Caan, he's got, you know, the, that era, he's got you know, his days as a young leading man, which would include like Thief and Godfather. And yeah. then you've got uh, Misery, which was a huge, like sort of mid-late career, a huge iconic part. And then of course, in Bottle Rocket, he plays, a, 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 he, got, he, he lived long enough in his career to sort of not so much do a spoof of himself, but to kind of play a role that commented on on uh, the types of tough guy roles he'd played in the past. And I think right, right. when he did Bottle Rocket, him taking that part was, it was reminiscent. At that point, we were familiar with this idea of the sort of Tarantino-inspired resurgence of taking an older actor and giving them a good role. So it felt a little yeah. bit like that role was kind of commenting on that phenomenon too, by, by giving him this interesting character who wasn't exactly what you'd expect. So, I mean, those are those are just the three performances that came to mind for me, Godfather, Misery, and Bottle Rocket. And I thought, okay, yeah, like he's not a guy who you think of as having the most varied career, but those are three very different movies and he's very memorable in all of them there's one i didn't mention that i think a lot of people mentioned someone gonna say it <laughs> elf yeah it's gotta be that's the it's other gotta one, right? be elf come on now <laughs> come on he's buddy's daddy -o. yeah uh yeah no yeah just uh I, he's a he, he he's a great follow on twitter too um yeah. uh but uh yeah i don't know is that definitely a great kind of looking across the filmography like john's talking about like kind of breaking down those areas of you know the the kinds of movies that he was making um but uh you know the 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 godfather and misery kind of stand out to me obviously elf probably would be you know the other the third one if i was going to pick three you know that kind of, of what i know him from or know him for but um I, you know every everyone talking about him today on most of the social media that i'm on if it's not the godfather it's definitely either misery or thief and you know that's kind of what in my mind it's so fresh after talking to you about picking something so i need to round that out and uh you know make sure i kind of complete that so th those are some of the ones that he's most known for um but yeah i mean it's, it's another one of those like iconic names and iconic actors that have just been involved in conversation you know um whether you know it's some some movies that are more prestige kind of things or commercial movies that are really kind of big box office movies but I mean, you kind of ebbed and flowed in and out of that a lot. And um, it's it's another one of those names that you just like, wow, like they're they're in that like legend kind of status that are just kind of leaving, you know, mm -hmm. us. And it's kind of crazy to kind of look at look at a filmography like that and just kind of look at all those bullet points of like iconic movies um, that I think most actors of the last 10, 20 years would struggle to even hold a flame to, you know, it's just mm -hmm. like it's crazy like that you know movie stars like that just don't exist anymore and uh he wasn't i don't know like a poster boy you know or movie star in that sense but like the movies that he was in you know there's definitely a history to them and and movies that are, just have like a just an iconic legendary feel around them I, I feel like there was one that i always thought about when i was younger seeing with my dad i was trying to find the movie when we were starting to record, oh, he was also in the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too. Right, that that series oh. was, another, was another thing for him that kind of um, was pretty big. But I couldn't I couldn't find the one I was trying to remember. 
but yeah, I don't know. Just another legend, just you know, gone. Yes, and uh, <sighs> yeah, you still, you know, eighty-two, which that's a good long life, yeah. but oh, you still sure. can have a lot of good years left. So that that does seem young you know i could have believed he was older than that just from the life he's lived but um yeah. i guess he was pretty young when he got started in the in the late 70s or maybe oh, mid 70s the one i was trying to remember alien nation with man oh yeah King. yeah yeah alien nation holy yeah, God, i haven't heard that i haven't heard that name in a long time didn't they have like a spin-off tv show there yes. was a tv series yes he's <laughs> he's in the movie though yeah yeah I, I, yeah, I, I always loved that movie, and I actually liked the TV show too. I remember watching that all the time with my dad. It was like one of those mm-hmm. ones we watched, but um, kind of a weird one. But yeah, him and wow, me. I haven't Two heard that right name there. in so long. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm gonna check it out now. I'm looking um, at, now. I'm looking at the full list to see if there was anything obvious that I missed. But uh, I mean, he's got a ton, man. There's yeah. so many, so many. All right, we got to get moving along. We got to get yeah, these got uh, the, the the boys and Stranger Things. That's gonna, you know, I don't know how how deep, deep, deep we're going on this, but both seasons kind of wrapping up. You want to start with? I guess you said maybe the boys first. Yeah, I guess so. It doesn't seem to matter, but you know, Ronald, you you um you were the person that put me on like the boys train this this season because you were excited when this we got access to season three and you mm, i think yeah. you and 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 your lovely wife watched it uh all we in a, all in a rush and then i kind of yeah. got into season three and then realized oh i never really finished season two and so ah. then i stopped and went back to the beginning of season one with my wife and rewatched season one and season two and then all of season three and was so high on the boys and it's like we're finally doing this segment and then ronald says you know i don't feel like talking about it <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I was like, so I just want to know, like, I felt this, what, like I felt is the there a story way. there? What, what, what? Cool, yeah, what no, cool man. Like for you, about I, the boys? I think what's happening is like we're getting to a point where we're getting access to all this stuff, and I have to watch it within an allocated time, and then after that, I'm done. I'm done with it. It's a weird thing. It doesn't mean that it's bad or good. It's just a lot of shit to watch. <laughs> and I think I think I just got to the point where. So here's the good part about it. I actually rewatched the finale and um, it, it kind of got me juiced up about talking about it. But yeah, I think I'm going through this like content fatigue mm-hmm. where like, you know, we we are blessed, man. Like we we have access for the for the listeners. We have access to a lot more than we did when we first started. And this is just through the efforts of, you know, all of us just kind of putting some positive energy toward it. But golly, man, like having to watch all that stuff can be a little like exhausting. But what show, what other show would I want to be exhausted on than than the boys? (laughs) I think that this show is like, you know, it it's taking everything that we know in the in the hero universe and kind of turning it, flipping it on its head. Like even taking iconic stills from comic books and even messing with it you know it's it's pretty amazing that it takes everything that we kind of this is not your kids comic book show this is not you know you, you couldn't show this to somebody under like you know 12 you know so this is like one of those things is it's an adult thing. i mean some people are showing that 
I just see people in middle school watching it. You know, it's like, yeah, oh, my yeah. my son watched it. But it's it's just one of these shows that it has so many iconic moments that are, you know. Iconic. Especially this season. <laughs> especially well, this season. I mean, season. it's an interesting thing because it does a lot of things. Like, I think one of the reasons it why does. I watched it and then kind of kind of forgot I was watching it. Like, mm. I don't even know if I've got all the way to the end of season one. And it wasn't out of not liking it. I just feel like... When I started watching it again recently, it really felt like, oh, I'm much more in the mood. I, I just think culturally, mm. it's like it's having a real moment right now. A lot of the stuff they're doing with the character, pe people should know, it's basically just a, a superhero story keeps it pretty simple. All superheroes in this world are seemingly caused by this one thing. And yeah. they're sort of corporate owned superheroes, or at least that's the one way to really succeed. And so it kind of, you know, it, you could see it as a, as a poking fun at corporate culture or the corporatization of like our escapism. And you could see it as commenting on superhero trends in movies. And like Ronald said, it satirizes specific moments and characters and plot lines. But what it does politically is so especially in the new season is so bold and so like like the fact that the the, the main protagonist on the show is a, a, a kind of well there's a couple of main protagonists but like they're they're all conflicted you know but that you do have some people yeah. you genuinely think are good and so it's easy to tell like who's bad and and the homelander or just homelander is he's the he's the bad guy he's the big the big bad of the show but he's also in some ways kind of the main character he's kind of the brand recognition of the show like his image is kind of what you picture and he's basically your dark superman um and watching him sort of continue to succeed surely that can't keep going like i wonder how many seasons this core show is designed to go because it kind of seems like it's the homelander show in some ways that like yeah i don't know what you could do if he was not in the picture like somehow it seems like the show would not quite hold and then of course you've got uh carl urban as billy butcher who's like a guy who hates all superheroes and that's just kind of for his own reasons he wants to take them all out it's a pretty simple setup and the boys of yeah. the title are a gang of kind of anti-superhero like it's like the a-team uh except instead of helping people out of a out of a uh tight situation they they try to take down superheroes but it's like you know and they intermittently have help from superheroes so it's kind of a superhero saga but it's also kind of not and it's kind of about superheroes but it's kind of about the politics of our moment and homelander just became trump in the new season like there were so yeah. many direct references and it fit like a glove to what this character has been and i thought i found that so funny and I even saw people writing about the show saying the show makes fun of both sides, you know, and some right wingers were apparently coming to notice that Homelander is like a, a, a like a satire of right wing values in some ways. And he's the bad guy. And people were complaining about that. And I saw where the creators of the show said, you know, we don't really play both sides. We just make fun of both sides of our political system. But it's always from a leftist perspective. It's like they, they make fun of liberalism, but from a, a far left perspective, not from yeah. middle ground making fun of everybody. And I think if you kind of get that and if you can get down with that, and if you can take the blood and the gore and everything, this show really is doing some really sophisticated, like, again, kind of rewarding things if you jibe with its politics. But just in terms of what it's trying to do, like, it makes a lot of these other superhero properties that are out right now, and especially the television shows, feel like they aren't really taking anything on. And not that you expect, yeah. like, the Marvel series that are intended to be family viewing to be the same thing as this. It's just one of the reasons why this really clicked with me recently and why this like jumped to near the head of the pack of shows that I'm into was just because I felt like I have been kind of starved for somebody who's actually 
playing around with this superhero stuff and doing something with it narratively, like making people's powers have a sort of conceptual heft. There's there's a lot of like body horror associated with what powers can do to the person who's the victim of them, but also the person who has them. Um, I don't know. It's just there's so much going on with it that I think that it's remarkable how much of it works. You know, not all of it quite works, but it's remarkable how much of it does. And it's a yeah, it's just like I got so into it this 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 go round. Um, I was really glad you kind of kind of reminded me. Oh yeah, we have the whole <laughs> we had the whole third season, but then waiting yeah. for the culture to kind of catch up because there's episodes you kind of want to hear people react to right. in this yeah. season. Um, uh, but uh, Steve, you said you kind of caught back up with the show for this second, yeah. right? You hadn't watched season two. What was that like? Kind of crushing through all of it in a, in a it was in amazing. A it was yeah. amazing. I mean, like, I loved the first season, and I don't know. I, you know, I think in the in the when season two came out, like kind of in the beginning, early early phases of like this whole COVID era that we're living in now. I remember like people being like, Oh, you're going to love the new season. Have you watched it? And I just kept like putting it off and putting it off. And like kind of Ronald mentioned earlier, like just this complete onslaught of what you can watch, you know, or what, and especially what we were able to get access to that was right around that same time. We started really making those efforts, you know? So like at some point I just never watched the second season of it. So when you guys were talking about it earlier, you know, on this podcast, you know, um, past, you know, past few weeks about the first couple episodes when Ronald was talking about it, like I hadn't even like, that's when it clicked, like, oh my God, I never actually watched the second season. So like I went through over the last like week, week and a half and watched the the whole second season. So for the most part, I was kind of timed right to the third season's run up because like I didn't watch I watched season uh, episode seven last week and I watched episode eight right after it just so that we could record this week. Um, Cause the finale is coming out like right around the time that we're recording this, but yeah, I, yeah, I mean like everything you said about just the way, you know, the politics of it all and kind of the way they approach that. And also just the way they approach like so much of what we talk about on this podcast in just terms of like, just the, the IP of superheroes, you know, like whether it's WB or, uh dc or marvel or disney like whatever's happening with what is like the 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 guts of the culture of of superheroes comics but specifically superheroes on like tv and film like that that part of it you know really kind of you know talking about what they're doing there talking about like how they're doing it in this world with this corporation that kind of oversees this this core seven of, of of the the superhero leadership that we we know on the show but I, I thought all that stuff, like with the dawn of the seven this season, you know, really kind of I'm so fucking immediately talking about the Snyderverse and like, you know, yeah. the director's voice and like what that process is and the cut and all that stuff. The director's all that stuff was fucking hilarious. Yeah. And, you know, to be so timely and to be so, you know, kind of just like tapped into pop culture, political culture, you know, film, TV, superheroes, IP, like there's all these things, these these plates that this show manages to spin and to really kind of land it. In my opinion, I thought this season was amazing. Like yeah, me too. I, it may it may be the best season. I, I don't know, but like I just think that the way they kind of land it all in the final two S episodes especially, it really kind of worked for me. And like you said, John, like it, it really did become something where like it's all I was thinking about, like it, it's kind of rose at the top. And I think, you know, this year, especially being able to consume the second and third seasons together in my mind, it's so dense and so it's so fresh that like 
it's definitely one of my favorite shows. Like, mm-hmm. there's no question. I love all the performances. I love Billy Butcher. Like, I love Carl Urban, what he does, what he's doing on the show. He looks more like a drawing than any other actor. Like, him in that role. There's he moments really where he does. turns and kind of grins and just the wrinkles in his face. Like, I don't know what he... It's like, they're, they, they, they tap into something with him or he... Yeah. He knows what he's doing, but like, I mean, he's such a, and he is, uh, he's such a fun actor to watch because he seems to know exactly who he is with regards to the kind of properties he takes on. Sure. But yeah, so much of that Billy Butcher, like why I love him, I think comes from like, oh my God, Carl Urban must love this part. He's He's just just exuding joy at playing this character because he gets to be like, there's moments in the new season where he gets to be a badass, but you also see how wrong it is what he's doing. And it's like, what other show gives you that? pleasure of like this has given me all the genre thrills that i want but it's also given me this really queasy feeling underneath it that other shows and movies i don't see them letting you feel that way about the characters like there's really not a they're, they're pretty much all gray on this show there's a few people that are pretty good but almost yeah. everybody's gray and he's like leading yeah. the pack for me yeah i just but he just i don't know he just i mean him and homelander really are like the kind of I guess, especially in the season kind of standouts. Mm-hmm. I think Starlight was really great this season, uh, Aaron Moriarty, but like Anthony Starr, the performances that he's given as Homelander is incredible. But specifically, like Billy's, Billy Butcher's like performance is really yeah. kind of works so well because we get to see a little more of why he is the way he is mm-hmm. and why this, you know, why the chip on his shoulder, why he approached. And, and then because we get to see that, you do you get moments of like a bit more of the tenderness that he has and like you know more of those even though it is a shade of gray you do get a little more of like you know well how did how did someone fall in love with him you know like how and that really resonated with me and i just feel like i and the carl urban of it all like him in those in those scenes like when he when he's talking to his father when he's when he kind of gets stuck in that mind trap and he's mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of confronting what happened about with his brother uh and how, and how Huey ties, reminds him of his brother too that, right yeah and how like that really ties deep. them the ties him into Huey and his relationship with Huey like I don't know and, and even that like when you have that experience like even that he doesn't know how to handle it still he doesn't he doesn't do the right thing always you know and like it's just not a consistent thing and I, and I, and I like that inconsistency for that character it works because of who he is um in this world and and this group that he kind of uh runs um but man i i yeah i don't know man i i i'm probably gonna rewatch um some of the last i kind of want to watch it with aaron because like you were saying you watched it with nikki like i just feel like this is a show she would definitely be into yeah. um some of some of the violence and goriness i don't know that she would love but like it even I feel like the way they deliver it is like so quick and it's so like <laughs> it's so effective and and kind of like yeah. it's just so the way it kind of just, it's so offhanded and just like move on. I love that about the show too. It's just yeah, yeah it, it's great. I loved it. I also like the idea of like the ideologies of I guess old characters versus the new ones when Soldier right. Boy. <laughs> I got to tell you, man, one of my favorite scenes. By the way. That that's my favorite character this season, just because I mean, obviously Butcher, amazing, but Soldier Boy cuts through all of that. Like he's just such a like guys guy. I love that when he met Homelander, he's like, you know, I I didn't think you'd be such a pussy. <laughs> You're such a pussy. Like I I don't understand. Like, like you, you need all this attention, and you need all yeah. this. Att- <laughs> it was like. That is 
to want to seek the he sought this validation through this guy. We'll talk about his relationship to him later, but and then in that moment, he's just like, nah, you're a pussy. I don't, I don't, you're not, we're not the same kind of people. We don't move in the same circles. We would have never been the same. If we if you were back when I was killing people, we wouldn't be in the same world. I fucking right. love that idea. And and I think that's kind of the Trumpy thing. It's like Trump, if you look at Trump back in the early 2000s, when he was like showing up with 50 Cent and all this weird shit he used to do, when he was like in hip hop culture, I never bought it. I never thought it was cool. I never thought it was like fitting into anything. He would show up on wrestling randomly. He wants to be that person so bad, but he's not that person. He's not that person that he imagines himself to be. And I think that's the coolest. The best characters are people that are not aware of that stuff, that are kind of present in the crazy, but like this very like, I, you know, I'm the coolest person in the room. But Well, the funny thing about Homelander is he's right in one sense in that he is that scary and he is that powerful. But the he way that he's like is. Trump is that that's not what he wants. Like he wants to be yeah. loved and he wants it to be unequivocal and he doesn't want anyone to be noticing the bad things. Mm-hmm. And watching him try to turn every situation into something that he's in control of. And watching him when someone really gets the drop on him, either verbally or, you know, in some tactical way, watching him try to turn it around and be like, I forget who it is he's talking to that says, maybe it's Maeve, but somebody says they pity him. And he goes like, well, that's kind of funny, don't you think, that that you feel sorry for me? I mean, like, he instantly turns it around (laughs) and it's like so childish. And there's a side of that character that is almost poignant because he, we know, I mean, from, you know his origin is is lonely and uh, yeah. not an origin you would wish on somebody but like that doesn't take away from the fact that he's a total horror show it just means yeah. that he's like again it's that that great thing a good villain a person who who you can see their humanity um even though that's like anathema to him the idea that he's human but you can see yeah. that he's hurt and lonely and that there is a there are those handful of moments where somebody seems like they almost get through to him but he instantly has to turn it into, no, no, I'm in control of this. And, you know, and, you know, like he does things uh, at the end of this season, I guess we can maybe get into some spoilery things. We There's no, you know, at this point, if you're listening to us, um, you know, I don't know what, what to do. Jump ahead. Uh, what are we going to say? 15 minutes or something. We're going to talk about Stranger yeah. Things too, but we're going to spoil that too. So maybe you're just shit out of luck if you haven't watched stuff. But at the end of the season, he, spoiler time, everybody have time to get off. He he rips out uh, Black Noir's guts uh, yeah. just because he kind of can't get over the fact that Black Noir is like it wasn't always about him. You know what I mean? That like like even though he might have someone who's helping him now, the fact that Black Noir maybe didn't tell him some things he knew in the past, which namely is the fact that the Soldier Boy was his dad, um, or that he was alive. I couldn't tell what it was that he was the most upset about, but the fact that Black Noir might have known that that his dad was alive somewhere and that he didn't know who he even was. Uh, Homelander takes offense to that and reaches into Black Noir's stomach and <laughs> pulls out his intestines. And, and you know, the second season ends with a seeming, like, maybe Black Noir is dead moment. But, uh, and so maybe he's, I, I feel like this was it for him, but I don't know anything about the mythology of the character. But what did you guys yeah, think maybe. of that exit, if if that, in fact, was the last, uh, the last moment for old Black Noir? It's got to be the end. Like, they can't yeah. bring that character back. You, th- you think he's done? I think he's done. <laughs> 
I mean, what they do with him with like the animation and like those characters that he goes to like love, like love that, that. that that whole scene of comfort and like even showing up sad in the, as fuck, man. In the showing up in the visor as he's like dying, like it, I would be, I'd be, I'd be honest with you, I'd be disappointed if yeah he was still wrong. alive. I would if be the, very if they do the genre thing of saying somebody wheeled him off and put a robot stuff yeah. on him or something. Yeah, it would be right because because the whole time he's been like a through line. In terms of like his, uh, you know, from being a part of Payback to now being a part of the Seven, and like you know his uh, legitimacy in the world of of these superheroes, and like kind of being like this like secret weapon, he's like kind of secretly one of the most effective ones outside of of Homelander, and I just think that you know the idea of Homelander killing him before Soldier Boy has a chance to, you know, like as a favor almost. Um, yeah is is a pretty big thematic beat for the story and I, i'd be disappointed if they if they reverse that yeah yeah the, there's a there, so this the the picture of homelander killing black noir feels like this moment from injustice god gods among us where superman lunges his hand into joker's chest it's a comic book that came out not too yeah. long ago that correlates with the video game and all this stuff but there's a there's a clear shot of Superman shoving his hand into Joker's chest. It, it they shot it almost exactly the way that this this picture is done, um, which sent some lights off in my head. I've kind of read that comic; it's not that good, but has a lot of people killing each other. Um, the one of the bigger moments too related to that is the reason why he killed him was because uh, Black Noir existed at a time where Soldier Boy existed um, before he got cryogenically frozen and sent to Russia, maybe? Yes. Or wherever he wound up. Russia. So um, basically his whole team, Soldier Boy, who was kind of a Captain America character, if you somehow listen to this and you don't watch the show, but it's like a, it's a guy who was frozen in the 80s and is thought out now, not a guy who was yeah. frozen in the 40s and thought out, you know, in the 80s. <laughs> right. But like, so in that sense, it's like he he lived like this different kind of life, but he still is a relic from another time. I yes. thought the show did a great job of making a point out of that. But his whole team turned on him, yeah, and conspired to, like, we find out not just was he an asshole, but his team literally did just, you know, make a deal to have him silenced. And then we kind of find out why. And what you're getting yeah. at is the part where we find out that Black Noir was kind of the one who caught the worst of it from from uh soldier boy yeah. back in the mortally past. wounded mortally wounded and then on top of that he fi- he knows that homelander is related to soldier boy mm-hmm. he is the son of soldier boy and you know the idea clicks in homelander's head oh man you must you were back then you must have known that this this whole situation is a thing why didn't you tell me and you know he just he demolishes him <laughs> Uh, you know, I love that. I love that there's stakes in the show. You know, Black Noir has been a silent guy, but I've always felt something about him. Yeah. You know, he's you know they zoom in on at the at the right angle. He tilts his head a little bit. You feel some emotion kind of coming out of that blank facade that he has. But um, man, what a what an interesting way to kind of further the craziness of Homelander's character and also. You know, you, this was the this was the season of fleshing out damn near every character. You got to see a little more from everybody that you yeah. didn't see before. The home life of a couple characters, uh, you know, the reason for people existing the way that they do. So, 
this felt like one of the most important seasons because it it tied that stuff up in a really cool way. Um, my baby Maeve is alive uh, and well. Big fan of Maeve. And Deep Power. And that's, that's a new thing they introduced deep, this yeah, year. Deep Power. Deep Power. Is yeah. that like Soldier Boy is a weapon who can, living weapon who can depower, like he kills mortals and depowers mm -hmm. people with powers. So the idea that he is alive at the end of this season and could be brought out, you know, I do think, I do think Homelander being depowered is a is a storyline they almost have to get to at some point because that seems like it's mm. the only way to really beat him. But I, I don't know anything <laughs> about the comics. I don't know what the real outcome is here. I've heard just a little bit about what happens to a couple characters, but once I realized I was reading potential spoilers, I backed off. But yeah, like Black Noir is a character who's been around since the beginning of the show. His death feels significant, yeah. but it also feels like they tossed it off in this moment where you weren't expecting anything big to happen. So there is right. something anticlimactic about it. And you're right, Steve, the, the animated character coming out like that was i said to nikki that i feel like another show that would have bought I, I could see that having been done in a way that annoyed me but for mm. some reason it was done like the the technical way they pulled it off worked for me yeah the the, the yeah. animation itself was appealing but also kind of dark but it also it it's like oh my god it just really felt dark to me that this yeah. guy has like a childish understanding of the world because of these fucking head injuries that we see him like we see the aftermath we don't know what really caused it then we see the animated version of what what happened and you realize like oh my fucking god like it's a miracle that this guy's even alive and able yeah. to put a thought together but the fact that 10 minutes before that he was walking around talking and he was just this kind of normal sort of insecure second string superhero who wanted to be an actor yeah. he wanted to be in beverly hills cop you know i mean like the show has the humor of that and that home that uh soldier boy like get blocks him from getting into beverly hills cop that that's where the disagreement comes from but then the fact that there's this beating that's just savage and that then we find out this moment in nicaragua nicaragua that we see come together yeah it just it was a really satisfying story that you realized only at the end of the season that they had basically put together the origin of black noir it didn't feel like we were yeah. getting his story it didn't feel like that and at then all. suddenly we were and him sitting in that yeah. what is that an arcade eating beans <laughs> like yeah. it's just the weirdest saddest thing but it reminds me of um the character rorschach from uh from watchmen oh, yeah. in the comics he eats like beans out of the can too so i feel like yet that's yet another like reference this show plays with of like saying okay that oh, that scary sad remote uh vigilante type hero let's make yeah. him even more like this show says let's make him even more twisted and sad and 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 in the end there was some i i may overuse the word poignant but there was something poignant about like the way that he went out like he he did seem kind of childlike in in some yeah. way that that's hard to pin down um and uh, yeah, that felt like a, a big death for the season. There's other characters who seem like they've been cruising towards a demise that we haven't gotten there yet with The Deep and A-Train. They both feel like they're sort of tragic characters waiting to happen. But I feel like The Deep is largely a comic character. Uh, and therefore, you kind of see how he can be sustained through all of his humiliations. Um, A-Train is an interesting character. I wanted to talk to you guys about the handling of that character. Like, how do you feel about A-Train? It keeps seeming like they're serving up a moment of redemption for him, and he just doesn't want it. But then he turns around and does certain things that are emotionally relatable. Like this season, he he kind of tries to do the right thing uh, in, in a racial sense, and it blows up in his face. But he still tries to do the right thing about that, too. It's just, you know, n nobody's having it. I have to say the scenes with his brother, they're 
some of the only scenes on the show that kind of dragged for me because I I don't know his brother is a little too humorless for me or not interesting yeah. as a character. Yeah, man. But I think what that does for A Train, the tragic element it gives him, I do find kind of interesting. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on uh, on his storylines, particularly this year where he's kind of poised to come back. But it just doesn't seem like anything's ever going to work out for this guy. I, I don't know, man. Him thinking that he could solve it in the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial style <laughs> is just genius. That was man. hilarious. I, I thought that was hilarious. I also think that, you know, I think the cool part about what they're doing with his arc is that you're going to fuck up when you're on this road to redemption, right? Yeah. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know how to handle this right. He's 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 kind of likened himself to Michael Jordan. He's, you know, he's this place where people can come that feels like he's he doesn't have a race. He doesn't have this weight of what uh, what a, a normal black man has on the world. He's a light, handsome man that 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 can run fast and make these cool commercials. And and the things that he was attempting to do to change his image were just, you know, short sighted. But I think that's what happens when you try to when you go from Mike feeling like whatever the version of Michael Jordan I'm not trying to shit on Michael Jordan whatever he perceives to be Michael Jordan to eventual redemption is going to take a couple times and I do love that it feels like it wasn't immediate it wasn't like overnight he's like saying the right things doing the right things and I think next season is when we're going to get you know the the Black Panther version of <laughs> of Atre. Uh, but what'd you think, Steve? What'd you think about his? Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same. I mean, I, I do like, like John mentioning like this, this, this gray area, you know, I think mm -hmm. that that's kind of, he's, he's a great example because I feel like he kind of leans more towards like, you know, dislikable, like, yeah. because every yeah. opportunity he gets to be, to, to do the right thing, he seems to not. And even yeah. when he thinks he's doing the right thing, it, it like, it just doesn't go as planned. Um, and and honestly, in like in some in like in, in gets punished in in, the, in like kind of crazy ways. Like even when he tries to yeah. correct the issue of of kind of killing this superhero that was like you know targeting you know the communities where his brother lives and like racial targeting and you know even yeah. that blows back on him because that guy's heart gets put into him. Right. You know, it's just like a weird like punishment that yeah. thought is like doing to him because like he tries to do something, you know, take something into his own hands. I don't know. He He's kind of like a hit or miss ca uh, character for me. Like, I yeah. feel like mm. kind of that, that, that back and forth nature of like, how many times am I going to, how many times they're going to like kind of go for that beat of him doing a good thing. Um, even though he has done some good things in the show that have kind of kept the plot going and kind of exposed a lot of things, especially even in season two, you know, um, I just think that uh, I, I think I'm at a point where I need I, I want to see more happen with him, yeah. uh, you know, especially where his place is in the seven now. And yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't have many negative things to say about the show at all. But I mean, I think it's just you really want to they, they do such a good job of moving the characters stories respectively along and, yeah. you know, even the idea of bringing in this like Scientology, like, you know, church type of religion thing that the deep oh, is a part of this, and that a train yeah. is sort of a part of for a hot second. And, you know, it's impact on superheroes and like how that's even leveraged, like all these moving parts that it, it just does so well. And honestly, I wanted to just mention before we move on, like, sure. 
I think like even among the things I've mentioned, like with the DC or Marvel of it all, whether it's movies or TV, I really think the boys is some of my favorite superhero stuff I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I really do. I agree. And, I think, and, and yeah. it's a better television show than so much better. any of these Marvel shows. Oh God. It's not um, even the, the, and you know, the only no one comparison. that I even think about in the same breath with, honestly, I was thinking about how it's like Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Yeah. is like not quite as it doesn't quite do what the boys does. It's not trying to, but Peacemaker nope. is the most successful bef outside of the boys. Peacemaker is the most successful attempt to make yeah. a superhero television show out of this era of, of superheroes or, you know, and I think, the, I mean, the boys, again, it has the advantage of it's commenting on things. It doesn't have to play it straight. It doesn't have to sustain a franchise. It kind of is the thing that that's where we get into this idea of spinning off. Like there's supposed to be a show that's set at like a, a, a university for soups. So it's like a college based show that's right. going to be in this world. I have a feeling that they'll be able to probably keep some level of quality control. And do, I could see some interesting things in that format, you know, of like younger, more unformed characters mm -hmm. going through some of the same stuff. But I do worry about anything. Like one of the things that makes this strong in that way, Steve, is the fact that this is a core storyline. This is not something that's spinning off and telling us to go see a movie. And there's another show that's going to pick up in a few months and tell a different story. They're not spinning off on the deep on his own six six episode show. Like right. I think part of it is that right now this show is is firing on all pistons and and the center is holding. I wonder what happens when you start to spin one of these things out into a brand, which I think is inevitable for Amazon to try to do that. But I think yeah. what they have right now is a really strong, as you've said, like a strong like a universe that I found myself thinking about and like wanting to get back into that world and thinking about the ramifications of that world. And even in this season, as you mentioned, like we have characters like Butcher and Huey who are, are become soups. You know, they, they, they take on powers in this artificial way in order to fight the other people with power. So there's this, there's this huge thing of like moving forward and dealing with the implications. And you can tell there's going to be some consequences for that. It feels like a real story, not like a, a, a franchise. You know what I mean? And I, I, yeah. I wonder about the spinoff being a thing that kind of weakens the, the core show mm. anyway i also wonder are they planning on doing like all infinite seasons for this or do, have they talked about a plan i haven't heard anything about it but it seems like you could sustain this current storyline for a couple more seasons um but at a certain point a lot of the you don't want there to be a status quo on this show i guess is what i'm saying you know yeah, you, don't yeah. want to get, you don't want them to kind of break their own rule and and have certain characters that are always protected although i do like uh, mother's milk and Starlight together, I kind of like the idea that that's something they plumbed this year that we might get to see more of next year. Um, there's good character pairings. Frenchie and Kamiko are uh, are amazing. Oh, so um, good. I loved that musical sequence. You know, it's, there's something so fun about watching actors that you don't normally see doing that. Like watch that scene. Watch each actor in that musical sequence where they're dancing around the hospital. Like Frenchie's really fun to watch. It just seems like an actor yeah. who probably doesn't do a lot yeah. of musical stuff. But um, so yeah, there's heart on this show on top of all the of all the other stuff and i just think it's handled better than a lot of the other i mean it's it's up there with good television i'm not judging it on a on a curve because it's you know it's it's genre or it's ip but i mean um, i guess ultimately what i hold on really, really what i was trying to say before was just that i think the reason though that i make the comment that i like it more than mostly everything else i've watched sure it ties into what you said about like the core story working and not having to kind of feed these other things but it just yeah. I just like that like shit happens. Yeah. On the yeah, show. Right. Yeah. Like it's a real you know, story. beyond beyond the stakes, you know, not just people dying, like not just that, but just like I just think that there's actually so many things happening on the show. Like you 
people becoming superheroes that are not are not superheroes. You know, superheroes, you know, killing superheroes, you know, keep superheroes getting a heart transplant, going to yeah. Scientology. Like, there's so many <laughs> weird fucking things happening on the yeah. show. It just feels and that's, I think, why it feels so fresh. And like I feel like they've managed every season to do more and more some crazy, some like grounded things. You know, having a superhero come in the second season who's actually a former Nazi, you know, that was thought to be dead, you know, I like it's just stuff like that. Like that is just like, oh, well, OK, well, that's fucking interesting. Now I'm watching it for yeah. that reason, you know, and I think they just do such a good job of just having so many kind of things happen, you know, and the the, the, the you know, um, bringing back, you know, the whole Soldier Boy thing, you know, playing into the, 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 the time capsule nature, which they kind of teased a bit with Liberty. And it just I don't know, man, I, I, I love how much they let happen on the show, I guess is what I mean. Yeah. And I don't think that that even gets scratched in mostly every other show that we could talk about. And even some of the movies, to be blunt, yeah. you know, like it's just they don't let shit happen. And, you know, I think that that allows the show to just continue to elevate. And that's why I think it's one of one of the better shows on TV, like you said, not, not just because of you know, the superhero nature, but just period, just one of the best shows on TV, in my opinion. Well, because like I said, I think I said this when we first started talking about this season a few weeks back, it's just, it's got like, they they make the powers count, the way they visualize them, the way they show how they're used, it all feels more, even though it's highly fantastical, the way this yeah, universe is yeah. set up, they make you feel the consequences of all this stuff in a way that very few other, if any, uh, superhero properties that I can think of have really focused on that idea that like, oh yeah, but what if you were standing there when the Flash uh, was running by and he ran through you? What would that look like? You know, like- right, like. Crazy. That's horrible. That's that's terrible. <laughs> but it also it's a major story point that three seasons in we're still kind of dealing with in some ways. Um, and also, I just want to say that Huey, I think Jack Quaid does a great job of playing that kind of. He's a little bit of the guy who doesn't realize he's kind of toxic, you know. He's a and 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 he's but he's like a good guy who's like trying to learn. I think that it, it's good to have a protagonist like that because you could have him being too much the goody two shoes against Butcher, but this season in particular, the way they work together, it was a great uh, p- piggyback for the, for the reveal about his brother late in the season that you were talking about, Steve, to see that we've, we now realize, Oh, now he's got another Lenny in his life. He's not his brother, but Huey is very much that kid that he could protect uh, instead of putting him in danger. So yeah, I guess we'll wait about a year and we'll see where they go next. I think you got, I think you set us up for a good transition, John. Um, you said the word piggyback, and I think oh. that's a good transition to uh, talking about Volume Two of Stranger Things Season Four. Yeah, that was the um, episode name, right? Of the last. That episode was the of finale Things. of uh, season season four. Uh, episode nine is called the piggyback. Um, mm. So yeah, it was so it's called was, Papa, right? Uh, Papa, correct. Yeah. Yep. So the vo- Volume Two came out last Friday, um, roughly a month or so after Volume One was out. A month and change after volume one was out two episodes roughly four hours ish time total episode eight yeah called papa episode nine called the piggyback um we talked about the first volume a lot already um on the podcast so just kind of zoning in on these last two episodes then kind of just a feeling on the season as a whole ronald um since you got pulled back into the fold it seems with this season um where where are you feeling how you feeling uh what's your take on these last two episodes uh so here's the problem uh because 
episode four and everything in the part one was so perfect. Part two, while equally as interesting, didn't have a moment that hit quite as hard as the fourth episode. You know, that to me was like, yeah, some of the best shit I've ever seen. Like it, it, the editing on that episode, the the sound mixing, it just perfection. But that doesn't take away from the fact that this is one of the best seasons of a TV show that I have seen in my entire life. The four hours, while it sounds like a lot on the surface, really felt like it needed every bit of that four hours to me to complete whatever part we were at at this point. So nothing, nothing bad to say about it. It just didn't hit quite as hard as that fourth episode. Vecna, you know, is a great villain. You know, just Freddy Krueger, Pinhead, like you name it, but primarily Freddy Krueger. Yeah, uh, with 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 bits of pinhead. It's kind of a swamp thingish look with the no with nose. You swamp, know? A yes, little bit, that's a little so perfect. Yeah. Yes, it's it's some of the best, com- most compelling villain moments. And when you find out who he is, you know, in the story, and you may have seen him in the first episode of the of the whole entire season, faintly, and you may have heard him. And the first episode, faintly, like, golly, like, what the Duffer brothers are doing doesn't feel like, like, lost. Um, like, in the way that they're just, like, winging it towards the end. It feels like they knew what they were doing from every moment that we've watched. And I just think Chef's Kiss, almost perfect season of a show. I don't know how this happened. Almost perfect season. Yeah. It's it's it is a good point that you make that like I feel like when that first trailer came out for this season, there was a video that they made on YouTube, like where they were breaking down the trailer. It was it was one of those like filmmakers on maybe variety. I forget what 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 trade it was, but they were breaking down the trailer and they made a comment about like having waited so long to finally introduce Vecna. And that statement kind of like when I watched that, it made me feel like Vecna had maybe been around or been been a part of the show in ways that we didn't recognize. So I I loved um I loved kind of seeing that come to fruition and kind of getting a little more insight into like what they maybe meant by making that comment uh, on that video yeah. like so many months ago. Um and the idea that yeah like you're saying like in the first episode of the series, you know, that there's a there's a presence of a figure that looks very much like Vecna and like you know, as you go through, I actually started rewatching it uh, like on Monday of this week, like mm. the whole series again. And, um, you know, even even earlier parts of the seasons, like hearing like the clock chiming and like there's so many mm. things that were layered in to the show that you don't even like think about until like literally this moment because of how much you get, and, you know, and maybe the one flaw of the season. I agree. I feel like it's one of the better seasons of the show, if not the best. I, I absolutely loved it. I have nothing more but positive things. If I was going to say anything, it would be this, there's tons of exposition happening. And, you know, I think the only thing is, is that like they need to get that out and some was done better than others, but like, I feel like it needs to get out there in this season for whatever they have planned for the fifth and final season to work. Yeah. And right, right. I think the way they managed to do it, 
for the most part worked couple spots were a little iffy for me but not in yeah. a way that took me out of the show at all but um i yeah i don't know i just love the idea you, you actually made it you said exactly what i was going to say it was like whether it's game of thrones kind of going off on a different thing from the from the source material not really having an idea of how they were definitely going to end it and getting to it maybe too fast once they did have an idea um or lost is another good example or even just fucking talking about star wars all the time on this podcast like this idea of a plan i really do agree with you and i really do believe at this point having seen this next this most recent season they they had a plan for this show from the jump and they've always said they saw it as four or five seasons They even released that letter last year when they announced that season four was going to be two parts and there was going to be a fifth season because they just had they couldn't do it all in one season. And I think that's for the better, because like even this season being as long as it is, there's still so much more room for what they really can probably do with this final season um, that we'll get in a couple years, hopefully uh, sooner than later. But, you know, the idea that everybody's kind of back in Hawkins and that it's actually, you know, the same Infinity War Endgame vibe. Like, they kind of lost. Yes. You know, yeah. like, yeah. they lost. You know, they're alive. They're there, most of them. But they kind of lost. And, you know, now what does that mean um, for this final season? Uh, but, yeah, man, like, just so many, like, epic, epic, epic scenes. Like, Eddie on the roof with the guitar stuff was just oh. fucking amazing. So um, good. Yeah. Uh, and even the way they've like managed to really kind of play into the whole like running up the hill song, like and mix it into that 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 reprise they have towards the end of the episode, like mm-hmm. where they mix it into the Stranger Things theme music. And yeah. it's just like so epic, man. And yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for this show. This is an all-timer for me for sure. Yeah, I I, uh, I guess I'm just, you're at. I'm gonna be the third person to say that I, I thought this was maybe the best season of the show and like a really great season of television. And yeah. I was thinking today, like I've heard so many people say, people that don't enjoy this show like to say, that, oh, it's just nostalgia. It's us, just somebody knowing which lazy references to make. And it's like, I think oh. that's such a bad analysis of this show because this show, we kind of got into this a couple of weeks ago, Ronald, about like, it. it's not necessarily about, like it uses the 80s, but it's more about the, the, the sort of feeling you had when you were a kid yeah, than yeah. it is about the 80s. Yeah. And the fact that even the Duffers are are portraying kids that are a little bit older, that would be older than they are now, or at least that's my impression, is that you know, um, they they are a little bit younger than than if if those kids in the show were grown now, they would be my, closer to my age than the Duffer brothers' age. So, but they just picked an era that was like part of our our shared kind of cinematic childhood that we all these this type of movie that we love, the Stephen King stuff, the the. Um, the Steven Spielberg stuff and so on. Um, but I, I I think it's an interesting thing because the show does tap into something kind of visceral and kind of primal. And, and I, you know, I think that extra time, whatever it was that they had to develop this season, I just think it, it, it affected that ability to not just have had a plan or even if right. they didn't have a plan from day one, they were smart about leaving the door open for this or that. Like a lot of times I think creators just know how to leave the door open and say, well, yes, there is a consciousness behind the upside down. That's not something we need to know in the first season. It's not something we really need to know in the second season, but we're starting to suspect it. Third season, it's starting to seem like maybe there is a consciousness here. And then they started saying about the fourth season, similar to what you said, Steve, I heard them say in an interview, oh, we get into the reason behind the 
the upside down, the origin of the upside down. And I was like, right. oh, you know what? I had thought at the end of season three, they could even have moved on and said season four is nothing to do with the upside down. It's a totally different threat. I could see them leaving it behind. But when they did that for season four, it's like, oh, the the end game of this show is going to be tied into the story that was there when it started. Right. And it makes you go, oh, so they really were interested in exploring the possibilities. That's something I love was when somebody has an idea and they want to exhaust the possibilities of that idea. So even though Stranger Things has added characters and added elements as it's gone along, the fact that we are now at the end of season four, coming to understand what we were really dealing with at the beginning of season one, and that that's where we are going into the final season of this story, it's why I want the story to have integrity and not have too many spinoffs and prequels and sequels and stuff, at least not planned right now, because I really feel like they are positioning these characters. Now, we are getting into spoilers here, but... There wasn't necessarily the death and destruction in terms of lives lost that we might have expected for this season. And in some ways I'm relieved because it would hurt like hell to have lost some of these characters. But I think we all started doing the math of like, who might we lose? Who would be the easiest to to recoup from? I often wonder about the four boys and 11, those five kids. Is any of those, like, is that group going to die? Anybody? Is Joyce, she seems like a person we don't really think about that much, but she could die. Definitely Murray and Steve lead the, I'm worried about them dying at any moment. Especially yeah. when they have like a good season. <laughs> they gave Murray such a great season. It felt like this is the, you know, they're going to kill him at the end. Same with Steve. So I think this, but when I looked at that group of people standing on the hillside at the end, oh, I was man. like, you know what? It's kind of cool to roll into the quote unquote final season of this story with that moment. It's like, look who's here to fucking figure this out. Look who's yeah. here to fight this. Um, I, I, I feel like it just makes it all feel worth it. So like whatever, totally. you know, I felt like that final episode, there was a lot of business to take care of after the actual climax. And some of that felt a little drawn out. Like I was remembering hobbits jumping on a bed in slow motion at the end of Return of the King. <laughs> but I also remember at the end of that movie thinking like, okay, if you watch this trilogy, you've just watched a 10 hour story can't we yeah. if it's a 10 hour story can't we spend a few extra minutes at the end watching people hug you know yeah yeah and i right. feel like this season definitely gave you that it gave you like all the characters who you thought might have been thrown in together sooner are suddenly interacting with each other i enjoyed those moments i think that watching the last two episodes in one sitting felt a little long but that was my fault for sitting down and watching four hours in one sitting. But it's also not that strange to watch four hours of Stranger Things in one sitting. So I don't oh, yeah, know. Look at it's just it just it worked for me. Where I think the, the 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 break in the season did an interesting thing. It created this period where people were actually talking about characters like Eddie and the the death pool and all that stuff. And the Kate Bush, I mean, she made a couple million dollars on a song that probably was not making her a couple hundred thousand or a couple thousand even before that. Um, but I do think that one the one drawback to that gap is what you said, Ronald, the fact that we came back and there wasn't anything that quite matched the emotional crescendo of the way the song was used. And it almost made it seem like every reference they made to Kate Bush, it almost felt like, guys, we should tell you... we. we the culture processed Kate Bush a week ago. We were done with Kate, you know, it's like, but it, but I don't think that that's a fault of the show. I just think that that just shows you how much this show can capture that conversation and that some of that stuff yeah. that happened in the first half of the season or the first seven episodes was so successful that there wasn't much of a place to go after that except to just deal with the plot and deal with the loose ends and everything and stuff that you kind of thought was going to happen. But I don't know about you guys. When I was watching that last episode, I had the thought of like, if this was, if they said, all right, we're the first eight episodes are on Netflix, but then you have to go see the final one in the movie theater. 
I wouldn't have felt ripped off by that last episode if I saw it in a movie I would have theater. done it. I would have been fine. I would have been fine with what I saw, like the level of yeah. the effects, the level of the storytelling. I just think there's very few shows right now that are operating on this level, similar to what we were saying about the boys. Yeah. Um, and as far as giving you this kind of, I mean, I it, again, it's down to that tonal thing I was saying at the beginning of this long episode about Taika Waititi. It's at this point, if you're watching Stranger Things, you kind of know if you're down with the vibe or not. And if you're down with the right. vibe, I don't see how this season wasn't something that really thrilled you. But to to Ronald's uh, existence, you know, like in this in this realm, I saw several people saying, "Oh, we got back in at season four, and it's the best season yet." So I mean, I think that they there was just there's just a general sense around this that this is something special, and that these characters are kind of characters for the ages in some ways. And again, it doesn't mean it's perfect. It just means that they. They've, they get a lot out of these interactions. We're so happy to see them, like to see Hopper and Eleven together again. Oh, Even if I man. felt that ending was drawn out, I needed that moment and I needed to see uh -huh. them them kind of bond. Um, oh, man, even when she like leaves that door open intentionally. Oh, yeah. Got me. Even got Steve me. seeing Robin having like that moment with the girl that she the likes girl. at the at the peanut church, butter and jelly. like that was such a great jelly. little moment for Steve. And talk about a guy that like went from oh we're gonna kill him to he's now maybe the heart of the fucking show. Uh, Steve is an amazing character. Like, yeah. and, and I almost wish they didn't emphasize the love triangle so much because I feel like that's less interesting to me than the other side of what he's doing with like he's become this kind of surrogate uncle to, to these kids yeah. it's just really funny and i even think jonathan who was a character who felt to me supremely sidelined this season um i loved his business with will that he got towards the end that he's the one yeah. person oh, who man. seems to be able to tell that will's trying to talk to mike about what he's going through and what will's going through i mean well you know maybe we should talk a little Are bit we... about that you know but like will's sexuality is something they've kind of hidden or they've kind of treated it very realistically that he wouldn't come out and say it to his friends. But um, that was maybe the only thing I had a hard time buying about this finale is I don't know that I think Mike is the heart of anything. Mike to me seems like he's kind of up his own ass a little bit, but I think that's maybe- But the in writer's... Will's mind he is. Yes, right. Well, well, I think that with Will, there's like this thing of, right, he sees Mike in that light of like, you're kind of my hero, you're kind of my friend, and he's got these right. extra feelings for him maybe. But the fact that Jonathan could see Will was having that moment and that Mike really was kind of making it all about him and wasn't really understanding that will was trying to talk about himself yeah. uh i love that jonathan came back later and basically yeah. said exactly and in no uncertain terms like i'm your brother i'm gonna love you no matter what and nothing can change that it's like holy mm. shit i mean i, I just know. love that i'm getting a little choked up just thinking about how how much will needed to hear that you know yeah. and we've, we've uh -huh. kind of seen a season of him being a little bit sidelined and nobody really saying well how the hell are you so i thought that was super sweet yeah, it was yeah. great. And I, and I like the idea of, of it kind of being set up that 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 finally will is going to probably be a major player uh, in whatever comes to be the fifth season. Yeah, I hope so. I idea. This will be for nothing if he, if he doesn't because. Well, yeah, you know, the well, he and Max and Eleven all have the kind of touched thing going yes. on now of yes. like yeah. of like, oh, now they there's a piece of them that's missing because of what they've they've kind of been connected to, you know, what if the, what if. His secret is not that he's gay. It's that he knew something all along. I know that sounds weird, but like, what if that's part of it? What if it's a, he might be, he may be gay. I mean, <clears throat> but also he's had this ability for a while. And there may be some part of this that he hasn't quite divulged. That's what I think, man. I do think there's something I don't think it's of just, that I don't nature, think it's... but, but I think that the, the, 
don't they call that queer baiting when when uh, creators hint that a character's gay but then don't don't follow through oh, yeah. on it? Oh, so I yeah. feel like they I feel like the writers of the show are too smart to not pay off the 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 hints they've been dropping. But does Will kind of what Steve was saying is is he kind of not like Eleven where it's like we have no idea what he might suddenly know or what he might suddenly right. become privy to. Um, yeah. And I think where Max is at the end of this season is very sad, but I could also see her kind of coming back next year and kind of having a little bit of that 11 or will roll of now she's the one who can say, you know, there's a storm coming. I can feel it sort of. Yeah. I, I love that. I just love like that. Will being back in Hawkins and like that, that like yeah. on his neck, like getting back into that, like season one, two stuff, like with him and the way he was affected by, you know that 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 particle dust like you know that 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 went into yeah. him that that we see in russia that we see the mind flare we see with that like there's all these things that now just spin around in my mind about like there's so many cool things that could come of will uh and some scary things that could come of will but um i just i'm just happy that like it feels like he's gonna probably be a major part of the final season and, he, and i think he needs to be because he literally is what starts the series yeah yeah like he's like yeah. he's literally the inciting event uh so yeah. when they flashed uh, back to the first episode and i saw i had forgotten how fucking little those kids were when i know the show started. so small man cute little lollipop kids you know with big heads <laughs> even it was uh they're uh, legitimately trying to like hide the fact that millie's a woman now like it's like very strange how they're like <laughs> trying to be discreet about how she's like she's well, a woman the, she's a i think the hair she's, she's a, an, like, go oh ahead. go ahead go ahead uh no i was just gonna say that she's she's a, she's an adult uh <laughs> that's all, that's all, oh okay this is the last thing i want to say i promise i'll leave this alone <laughs> The internet just discovered that, that, Maya she, is an, that, that she is an adult. <laughs> that Maya Hawk is oh. is uh, Uma, Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk, Uma Thurman's yeah. kid is so funny, man. It's not that how? I just found out fairly recently. How? But, like it was, it, it was like all they promoted for season three. It was like they were everywhere she's talking not, about it because she did because she's really only. In terms of TV shows, did Ethan Hawke's show, which is on Showtime and kind yeah. of obscure yeah. and about racism. Right. <laughs> I don't know if people really knew that you know, she was You like, know what I bet? I bet that Ethan Hawke's profile is like a couple ticks higher because of Moon Knight and the, the Black Phone. Like, yeah. you know, like... Like the the, the 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 demographic that watches Stranger Things is this year more aware of Ethan Hawke than they probably were a year ago. Uh, it would oh, be my yeah. guess. Not to say that he hasn't been in things like The Purge and whatnot, but I bet that there's a little bit of synergy happening there. And it might be something smart he's doing of like, you know, you always wonder like, what? Might, why would an actor take some of these roles? And then you think, oh yeah, it kind of puts them back on the cult cultural radar just a little bit. Um, yeah. But no, I think that's funny because I think that she's she's another character that I think is kind of vulnerable. Like I I I I. I, I keep wondering, like, who's kind of on the chopping block? I think we, we knew this season that Eddie was going to go. I think the surprise with Eddie is that he lasted as long as he did. Um, and that made it very poignant. Uh, there's my word. But I found when he died, I, it affected me, but I was I was doing that mechanics of, like, well, did he really help that much if... if uh, 
if Dustin went back, you know, it's like I was just trying to picture like like logistically, you know, how sometimes you have to make the logistics of a scene make sense to understand how this person helped, like what he did by dying. But then I saw someone had played was playing the clip of him dying and his final words to Dustin. And it hit me harder than it did the first time through. Just him, his little conversation with Dustin right before he died was so sad. <laughs> it reminded me of like, know. Um, know. you know, uh, uh, Tom Holland fading away in Tony's arms in Infinity War when he's like, I don't want, like he seems scared like just the way that that eddie you could tell he kind of knew that he was slipping but he was trying to trying to like be there for dustin in that moment just oh god so great and the fact that then dustin has that conversation with with uh, eddie's uncle um and the fact that he was replacing the the sign that where people had defaced eddie i don't know that to me that to me feels super sad but i'm glad that that dustin got to have that moment where like at least somebody got to hear that eddie was you know heroic hero a hero yeah yeah. But that's Eddie, a character people have latched onto for sure. Like Eddie, Eddie was great, man. Oh, I, I love that character. I I love that whole sequence in the field when they're getting their weapons together, and he like grabs Dustin and he tells him like, "Don't ever change." Like that that that's why the scene you're describing hits. Yes, because of that moment 20, 30 minutes before, is that yeah. like they have that moment in the field and like you can just tell they're so keyed in as a, as a pair in terms of what's happening with this plan. Um. But that that whole sequence in the field I thought was amazing. Just those that the innocence of like them having a little fun as they prepare mm-hmm. to possibly walk to their deaths. You know, yeah. like they're these kids still. You know, they're kids. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I don't know. And, and at the end of that episode, uh, the the collateral, the 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 toll is that Dustin has a really theatrical limp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> From jumping back into the upside down, yeah, <laughs> yeah. From falling, jumping slash falling yeah. back into the upside down. Poor Dustin. Uh man. But yeah, you're right, John. That 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 sequence of like just getting that shot of them on the hill and like the way they're kind of blocked out and like you kind of have the like here's your characters, you know, like yeah. Th- this is like okay, you've made it through. It's like the board is set. Look off in the distance. They lost in a way, uh, you know, like this is this is the end game. I don't mm-hmm. know how else to say it, but it is. I couldn't help but see like the, there's a total there's a total connection to that. Like Vecna kind of wins, yeah. even though he's yeah. even though he's hurt and he's damaged. He, he kind of wins. And yeah. I like and it's kind of like I said in between those two movies, too, which is like, even if you know they're going to come back and beat Vecna in some way in the season five, you yeah. still get to you get to marinate in that feeling. Yes, that they lost. Totally. And you know that these characters, fictional though they are, they they, too, are marinating in this moment of like, this isn't over. And we're yeah. right now we're down. Yeah. Um, so it is a different way to end a season, especially if you're going to have to wait a couple of years to find out what they do next. Um but uh, yes, I have a feeling I'll be watching the next season. I don't know about you. Yeah, guys. probably. It's probably guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be watching it Two for years sure. From now. You know what? Real quick. I want to say before we wrap this up. Don't you. Don't you. We've talked about it many times, but I'm going to bang this drum. Mm-hmm. Two years from now, Netflix has changed in so many ways. Oh, they have, man. They have ads on their platform. They have um, password. No, no more password sharing. But most importantly, They've released Stranger Things on a weekly basis. What do you guys think? I would. I'm I don't want it. it. I don't want it. You don't want I'm that. I'm good with it. 
Stranger, I, I things feel is, like... Stranger Things is a binge for me. Stranger Things is oh guys, guys, the show came out. Let's clear the weekend. Uh, I, 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 I think that's done. I, I, I think not, that adds... you, you didn't ask me what I think will happen. You asked me what I want. Oh, I, I don't want Stranger Things to not it. be yeah. a binge show. Uh, I think yeah. I think that it works perfectly as one. I love I love that it's midnight. You guys want to watch one more uh, before we turn in tonight? That's just too great of a feeling, and it's like my family. We all love it so much. But I, to what Steve's saying, I think if the question is what do I think Netflix is going to do, I could see them maybe dropping a couple episodes, and then a couple, and then a couple or something. You know, just to kind of kind of to kind of uh, cover that. But I, I I feel like yeah, for whatever reason, even though I'm not necessarily in favor, the the binge model is 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 going to go away for some of these huge properties where like you said Netflix kind of wants to be in a different game right now. They want yes. this IP to be something that that can grow and that can, you know, feed them for a season rather than a rather than a a, a you know, what this was the longest they've ever managed to sustain it and it was still uh uh you know, it was 5 weeks I guess rather right. than Right. I I just I just can't help but think like the way they did this with this and Ozark and, you know, every other show that we talk about with any consistency on this podcast is is on a weekly, even, the you know, talk about the boys, talk about Ms. Marvel, talk about Obi-Wan, you know, any of these other platforms, they want this, you know, beyond the viewership and the numbers and like the social engagement, the pop culture stuff. I mean, can you just imagine if Stranger Things, you know, what they've succeeded with this season is making it because I did feel that way about season three that like within two weeks, like it had kind of faded out. And here we are going into like week six or seven and like it's being talked about more now than it was the week it came out. You know what I mean? Like, because at that point that we gave everybody time to all watch it, a lot of people, we got to experience the last two episodes of this season together. And I think, or at least over the course of that holiday weekend. And I think that's why like everywhere you look, people are talking about Eddie, about the, you know, about the Metallica song, about Max, about Will, whatever. I just think that, Two years from now, especially going into the last season of the, you know, what I think is the quintessential Netflix show, I, 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 I don't know. I'd be shocked two years from now if this show is not coming out on a weekly basis. I mean, that's a that's a Game of Thrones level anticipation. I think if they do that, um, mm-hmm. and and maybe it has a better, uh, you know, kind of reception at the end than Game of Thrones did, but. <laughs> We'll see. We'll, we'll have to come well, back. The people in two who came up with it are this. doing are, are fully. You know what I mean? Like the it's it's the Duffer Brothers. They're not adapting anybody. So I do yeah. think sure, that's sure. a huge reason. I get. To I get it. That, I get it. No, but I'm saying but I my think point to, just being they have it's a, a plan. reason to be optimistic is to hope yeah. that, that that they might actually wrap up the story they started, which which would be different right. from Game of Thrones. Right. And I, yeah, I don't. So I don't know. I kept my thinking kid about will be talking by the time that comes on. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Like she's gonna like have a talking voice and ask father, me really dumb questions father why are you watching so much television why don't you parent me <laughs> yeah that'd be just what what she sounds like <laughs> like they downloaded the lessons into my brain yesterday <laughs> uh, that's what she's gonna say <laughs> anyway all right let's wrap this up we've gone super long yes on episode 345 yeah, lots to, lots to talk about here um Moviesmovie.com is the website. You can hit that site up and jump to whatever podcast platform you'd prefer to subscribe to the podcast on if you're not already subscribed. Um, If you are, if there's a chance to leave a review or a rating or to utilize a share button to send a friend or family member or a fellow movie television uh, person that you talk to about those things recently or regularly with, please do that. Um, 
next episode once more if you want to join along or come along for the ride we're going to do this you know this whole required viewing uh portion of the show is going to be uh, michael mann's thief 1981 um actually i probably should have looked up and seen what it's available on if anybody wants to come along for this uh ride do you guys know by chance what uh what thief is available on i'm looking right now it is uh it is free on the the roku channel and pluto tv and tubi tubi canopy pluto 3.99 yeah so so roku channel with ads tubi with ads free on canopy canopy is an awesome service you can get for free through your local public library yeah man if you've never heard of it canopy with a k check it out get on it yeah pluto tv with the ads but yeah if you want to come along next week we're going to talk about thief and as always you've made our day thanks bye